you know, everything seems strange. Even things at school, they're not right. You remember that kid with the different colored eyes who picked on me? It seems he's disappeared from sight. His parents are friends. And they say when his mom went... Hello, listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. You're listening to a clip of Mother's Acting Strange by Casey Redman. This singer-songwriter from Logan is our feature Ohio music artist tonight. So hang on with us to the end of the podcast. We'll tell you more about them and let you listen to that entire song. But right now, let's throw another log on the fire campers. Let's dig up a new Ohio mystery. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with me is our award-winning journalist, Paula Schleiss, who spent 30 years telling these kinds of stories for the Acker Beacon Journal. Hi, everybody. So, Jesse James, Steve, hero or villain? Uh, villain for sure. Bank robber, killer. Eh, he's just not getting any love for me. Well, you know, we've discussed this before in other gangster episodes. Some people love their outlaws. Well, it's definitely a phenomenon, the way that people would follow exploits of some of these criminals and newspapers and root them on, you know. But Jesse James, I mean, he was no Robin Hood. Right. You know, sometimes people would feel sympathetic to bank robbers because they believed they were, like, spreading the wealth around to people in need. Well, if that was ever the case, that was definitely not the James gang. Right. You know, Jesse James, huge figure, but— What's his connection to Ohio? I think of, um, you know, Wild West. Yeah, well, you know what? There's an interesting legend to share here involving Ohio. And if you stick with us to the end of the story, you'll find there is a compelling reason to believe it. A few years ago, Timothy Brian McKee, writing for RichlandSource.com, investigated a century-old rumor that tied Jesse James to Richland County. He explored the possibility that the James gang might have even stored some of their loot right there in the hills between the villages of Lexington and Millsboro. And he uncovered some tantalizing clues along the way. So tonight, we're going to share some of McKee's research and add some of our own as we ask the question, did Jesse James hide out for a time in Ohio and maybe even bury some of his loot here. We're going to begin our story tonight, not with Jesse James, but with a man named Levi Rumsey. In 1880, Rumsey rode into the Richland County village of Lexington, a booming town just south of Mansfield. Nobody knew who he was. They called him Captain, presumably because they thought that was his rank during the Civil War. But nobody took the time to clarify whether he'd fought for the North or the South. And Rumsey wasn't just passing through. He was coming to stay. He had selected Lexington. We're not sure why. And after he scouted the countryside, he set his sights on a farm just west of town. The farm was owned by John Graham, and it was not for sale. But every man has his price. Rumsey approached Graham and told the farmer, Give me a price, any price, 
So Graham tossed out an outrageous sum. When Ramsey pulled out that amount in gold, Graham could hardly say no. Rumsey's farm was in an area that today straddles State Route 97, west of Lexington. Back then, it was a good distance from the next homestead and nosy neighbors, but it was still on the main road, so people were in a position to see comings and goings, and even at a distance, they got an eyeful. The locals couldn't help but notice an extraordinary number of horses coming in and out. Far more horses than an honest man would need. And then there were the shady characters, gangs of rough men with weapons at their side. Add to that Rumsey's over-the-top personality, his loud voice, his brash manner, the way he easily spent money. And they figured he was probably a horse thief. Now, while Rumsey gets settled into Lexington, Ohio, let's take our story out west. It's time to meet Jesse James, his brother Frank, and their gang of thieves and cutthroats. They have made a career of robbing banks and trains in Kansas, Missouri, Minnesota, Colorado, Oklahoma. The James gang had been making headlines for a decade. And thanks to wanted posters, Everyone knew who they were and exactly what they looked like. While they were feared, they had become folk legends. During the Civil War, Jesse and Frank James got their start as pro-Confederate guerrillas working to undermine the Union Army. If you'll recall from our episode on Ohio-born William Quantrill, early on, the James brothers had joined Quantrill's raiders, raiding and burning Kansas towns that opposed slavery, and conducting wholesale murder of civilian abolitionists. Their efforts were brutal and bloody, but the South hailed them as heroes. When the war ended, Jesse and Frank James put their skills to work in a new way. They began robbing banks. The James gang was sailing along with little resistance from 1866 to 1876, when their attempted robbery of a bank in Northfield, Minnesota, went terribly wrong. Every member of their gang was killed or captured, with the exception of Jesse and Frank James. After this, Frank seemed to settle down, but Jesse was still restless. He recruited new members to his gang and they went back to work. Now, when Levi Rumsey rode into Lexington, Ohio that day in 1880, Jesse James was already a celebrity. It was pretty rare for criminals to last so long. Usually, there was some nationwide dragnet that would catch them. But James had been robbing banks and trains now for 14 years. It seemed like he was untouchable. Then, one day... After Rumsey was settled in and dealing his horses, a whisper started making the rounds of Lexington's watering holes and gathering spots that spotted some new arrivals at the Rumsey farm, and they were pretty sure one of the new guys was Jesse James himself. The rumor persisted, though no one could absolutely confirm it, 
It's not like Rumsey himself was going to admit it. But the townsfolk were satisfied that the West's most notorious gangster had been right in their midst. Jesse's days were numbered, though. By 1881, Frank James had moved to Virginia, believing he could put his criminal past behind him. But Jesse returned right back to the lion's den. He went to Missouri, and he and his wife moved into a house not far from where he had been born and raised. And that was in spite of the fact that the governor had promised in his inaugural address to end the reign of the James brothers. He had even put a $5,000 bounty on each of their heads. Now, there were only really two gang members that Jesse James trusted anymore, Charlie and Robert Ford. So when the heat was turned up, Jesse asked the brothers to move in with him for protection, and they did. What he didn't know was that Robert Ford had been in secret negotiations with the governor to bring Jesse in and collect that $5,000 reward. So on April the 3rd, 1882, after eating breakfast, the Ford brothers and Jesse went into the living room to plan a new robbery. But Robert Ford was convinced that Jesse knew he was being betrayed and he decided he better act right away. The way Ford described it, Jesse walked across the living room and laid his revolvers on a sofa. He turned around and noticed a dusty picture above the mantel, and he stood on a chair to clean it. That's when Robert Ford drew his weapon and shot the unarmed Jesse James in the back of the head. Jesse's death was headline news all over the country, and the Fords made no attempt to hide their role. Robert Ford wired the governor to claim his reward, then surrendered to authorities. Now get this. In the course of a single day, both brothers were indicted for first-degree murder, pled guilty, were sentenced to death by hanging, and then received a full governor's pardon. All of this in a single day, which made a lot of people believe the governor must have been part of the conspiracy to kill the outlaw all along. The Fords collected part of the reward, felt pressured to leave town, and went on to star in a touring stage show in which they reenacted the shooting. Anyway, time to go back to Ohio. Jesse James is dead, and shortly after he's buried, Captain Levi Rumsey disappears from Lexington. He reportedly absconded with his wife's jewelry, abandoned the farm, and headed west. Rumsey's mysterious departure adds to the intrigue of that old rumor about Jesse James. Those whispers now turn into a legend that will survive beyond a century. But it was only ever a rumor, right? Well, let's add some circumstantial evidence to this story. In the decades after Jesse's death, magazines and dime novels told real and fictionalized versions of his exploits. He became a huge literary character, and the plots were always the same. Jesse robbing a bank or a train, getting away with bags of gold, and the need to bury that loot. Sure enough, 
people started finding some of the James Gang's buried loot. They found some in Oklahoma and in Arkansas, usually marked with Jesse James' initials, the J and the J, carved to look like cowboy boots. But could Jesse have buried gold in Ohio? It sure seemed like a good reason for him to have been in Lexington. Curiosity seekers began to pour into the area, looking for possible hiding places. Then one day, someone followed Clear Fork River upstream into the steep hills, and there they found a cave. It was in Millsboro, another village, nearly five miles from Rumsey's farm and just a few hundred yards south of today's downtown Millsboro. A news story gets shared by a friend on social media, or you catch a tweet that really makes your blood boil. But how do you separate fact from fiction? That's the premise behind Disinformation, a 10-part series from Evergreen Podcasts and Emergent Risk International coming this fall. Tune in to Disinformation wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, don't believe everything you read. The revelation of the cave got the old-timers in Millsboro to share their stories. In 1927, a Mansfield News Journal story said longtime residents, some of whom had been born in the middle of the 19th century, remembered when Millsboro Road was a stagecoach route. The entrance to the cave was just a few yards from the road, but it was really well concealed. So highwaymen, would rob the stagecoach, then hide their stolen loot in the cave, which at the time was big enough that they could just simply walk their horses inside. But by 1927, that cave entrance was overgrown and not easy to find. Witnesses said if you could fit through the debris that obscured it, you'd find a cavern inside big enough to turn a hay wagon around. There were ashes from campfires inside, and they also found a feature they refer to as a swinging rock, a precariously perched boulder that they were certain was a booby trap. The property the cave was on was owned by an eccentric man whom neighbors said never worked as far as they could tell. Oral tradition in the community held that the man had found some loot in the cave and was living off of it. So after this series of stories ran in 1927, a 91-year-old man named Lewis Williams wrote to the newspaper to share his experience. He'd been born and raised on a farm just south of the cave. And he said he remembered those days of the horse thieves and the outlaws that hung there. And yeah, he personally always believed the tale of Jesse James. The cave kept closing in a little more every year. And eventually, it became a very big safety concern. It was finally blasted in the 1950s. So here's the next question. If Jesse James had gone to Lexington with some of his loot, why? It's so far from the central core area of all his activity. Well, there's an answer for that. Modern-day historians have learned a lot more about Frank and Jesse James than the parts that made it into the newspapers back then. And one fact was that the James brothers were never trying to get rich. They were getting ready for the South to rise again. 
Those banks and trains they robbed all had Yankee ties and northern interests. And the money they stole was being hid in strategic locations so when the next war started, they would have resources all over the country. The Yankees themselves were going to pay for the next civil war. Now, the group that was coordinating this mission was an organization called Knights of the Golden Circle. The Knights had been formed a few years before the Civil War even started. Their initial goal was to expand the South's slave-holding empire into Mexico and Central America. When the Civil War was lost, some diehards thought it was their mission to start a second one. And, as it turns out, Jesse James was a high-ranking member of the KGC. Some historians have estimated that Jesse and his fellow outlaws helped the Knights amass a fortune of more than $400 million. That's the equivalent of more than a billion dollars today. And here's the catch. Central Ohio was a hotbed of night activity. Given that Ohio was a northern state, that might seem surprising. But in October of 1861, now that was the first year of the Civil War, Ohio authorities started seeking out the Knights, raiding their group headquarters, and arresting officers for treasonous activities. They also seized material that explained the group's code words and their cipher for secret correspondence. They also found the oath that members took, where they swear to wade in blood up to my knees to serve Jefferson Davis. Davis, of course, being the president of the Confederacy. Newspapers were encouraging Ohio citizens to turn in their KGC neighbors. One story in the Fremont Weekly Journal, similar to what was said in other newspapers, said, Arouse, friends, and crush this villainous conspiracy against our country. Now, those same stories counted about 900 knights in Columbus, 1,100 in Ashland, 1,300 in Marion, and for the purposes of our Jesse James connection, 1,000 knights in Richland County alone. So Jesse James can be tied to the knights. And we can establish the Knights were in Richland County in a big way. But can the group be tied to Jesse's alleged host, Captain Levi Rumsey? Well, there was a pro-Confederacy newspaper in town called the Richland Shield and Banner. And in the 1880s, there was an article in it that referred to Levi Rumsey's house as a castle. Now, that might seem innocent enough. Rumsey's house was just a small, plain frame farmhouse. But every man's house is their castle, right? Except after law enforcement raids found those codes and ciphers of the knights, they learned the word castle meant safe house. And there are many surviving letters from the James gang referring to homes, livery stables, and hideouts that they had as their castles. So it does seem possible, actually even likely, that Jesse James was hanging out in the hills of Richland County, and even likely that he had done so 
in order to store gold here in a northern state so that when the South rose again, the new Confederates would have their own little personal bank in Ohio. Still, what seems very unlikely in this story is that the Knights would have left that gold buried there. If there were more than a thousand of them in Richland County, someone certainly would have cleaned that stash out a long, long time ago. Okay, so I'm going to join the camp of Jesse James coming to Ohio to hide some of his loot. It actually makes perfect sense, though. I mean, you know, the whole mission behind the bank robberies. So what happened to Frank James? You said he settled in Virginia? Okay, so five months after Jesse's death, Frank returned to Missouri under an arranged surrender. He'd been on the lam for 21 years, and he was done with it. He was tried for only two cases, a robbery and double murder in Missouri and another robbery in Alabama. And in both cases, juries found him not guilty. I told you, they love their outlaws. Anyway, he went to Oklahoma to live with his mother, and he went through a variety of careers, ranging from shoe salesman to a theater ticket taker. Oh, come on, taking tickets at a movie theater? I know. As a matter of fact, one theater even promoted him using the phrase, come get your ticket punched by the legendary Frank James. You gotta be kidding. I am not. So after more than a decade of robbing and killing people, Frank James never spent a night in jail. Well, there you go. Americans love their legendary villains. That's it for tonight, listeners. For photos, news, clippings, and more on this and every episode, Hop on over to our website, ohiomysteries.com. And that brings us to tonight's featured Ohio musical artist. Casey Redman is a singer-songwriter from Logan, Ohio. That's in Hocking County. He's also a podcast host, and he's been a radio DJ. His music runs the gamut from rockabilly to folk to blues, spoken word, surf, and good time rock and roll. And as you can tell from our featured song tonight, he's got a real playful side. His tunes cover subjects that range from Godzilla and aliens to beer and baseball. I love that he has also written about some subjects that we've actually done Ohio Mysteries episodes on, including the Melonheads of Kirtland and the Moonville Tunnel. Anyway, look for his page on Reverb Nation or find the link in our episode notes, and you can sample all his very fun music. So have another listen to Mother's Acting Strange by Casey Redman. Enjoy, and we'll see you here next week for another episode of Ohio Mysteries. Mother's Acting Strange. Something's just not right. Last night I saw her dancing on the front lawn the pale moonlight. When I mentioned it this morning, she said, don't be silly. I was sleeping in my room. But she wouldn't look me in the eye. And there were grass stains on her shoes. Today she picked me up from school in this long black cloak and pointy hat. You know, there's a litter box downstairs. We don't even own a cat. Mother's acting strange. I don't know if you've noticed it or not. She's been cooking outside beneath the willow tree. 
in this big black smoking pot. We used to have spaghetti and meatballs, or maybe burgers and fries. Now it's tongue of bat and fenny snake, or eye of nukes and fries. You know, she says father's away on business. Now when I tell you this, don't think I've gone mad. But there's a white rat in a cage down in the cellar with a sign on it about Dad. You know, everything seems strange. Even things at school, they're not right. You remember that kid with the different colored eyes who picked on me? It seems he's disappeared from sight. His parents are friends. And they say when his mom went through his room, she found a frog in a shoebox underneath his bed with one brown eye and one eye blue. When I told mother about it, she started laughing and said, what a scream. Then she broke into a chorus of it's not easy being green. Mother's acting strange. Even watching TV, there's no rest. Every night it's charmed or bewitched. She says she likes the first Darren best. Now tonight she says she'll be home late. And while she's gone, I should sweep out my room. Now I've looked all over this house, and I can't find a room. Mother's acting strange. Mother? Mother, is that you? Mother? Do you think they'll drop the bomb?
This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.